The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We'd like to return this morning to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 3. And uh, last week I gave you all some homework to read Nehemiah chapter 3. We'll evaluate you on the honor system if you, if you read that or not. But what we want to focus on today, we won't read the whole chapter, and that's why I wanted you to read it yourself, is it gives logistics of these different sections of the wall. And this person worked from from this place to this place, and then right next to him was this person worked from this place to this place, and it's through all those people working together in unity that this great task was accomplished in only 52 days. And I hope that you read ahead this week, but also uh, I hope that you do that each Sunday in preparation for the upcoming message because one of the benefits of considering God's word in an expository manner is that you have a general idea of where we'll be at next week. Now the spirit can always direct us in a different direction from time to time but I believe that the general disposition of pulpit ministry should be expositional going verse by verse. I certainly preach narrative and topical from time to time but The Holy Spirit inspired the Word in such a way that it's perfectly balanced. Each book in and of itself is perfect to consider exactly the way the Holy Spirit inspired it, right? And uh, I think it's beneficial to study the Word of God that way. But one of the benefits of going through there is that, uh, as I hope, as soon as you leave services today that you are in prayer for the services coming up next Sunday, right? I hope that you are continually praying for the next Sunday, and one of the benefits of that is not just that you pray for the minister to have liberty and study, but but that your heart is tendered to receive the things that the Lord would have for us, and if you have a general idea of what we will probably be speaking of next week, as you're praying for that, it's good for you to go ahead and be meditating on that, right? So I think that's one of the real benefits <clears throat> of considering the Word of God in an expository manner. And um, I hope that you do that on a, on a weekly basis, that as you have a general idea of what the next portion of Scripture might be, if that is the direction and leadership of the Holy Spirit, that as you're praying for the next Sunday's worship service, that you're reading and meditating on the upcoming portion of scripture that is that is coming up okay uh so in nehemiah chapter three we have the logistical mapping of all the different people that worked on the building of this wall and we won't take the time to read all these but 39 at least by my count you could probably group this differently uh but 39 individual people were named 10 groups of people, eight specific rulers of the people were highlighted. 
So people are individually noted by the Holy Spirit for their commitment to build in their portion of the wall. And at least 12 times in the midst of this chapter, it makes a reference to them working over against their own house. So what that means is, is that they simply worked on the portion of the wall that was right beside their house. And they should have a vested interest in that portion of the wall, right? I mean, we all want the whole wall to be secure, but also just speaking practically, if someone is going to uh, invade the weak portion of the wall and my portion of the wall is the one that's broken down, where are they coming uh, first? They're coming to my backyard, right? So, so uh, you have a, a, a personal investment that I really want my portion of the wall to be pretty secure because if it's not, then when people or when our enemies do invade, they're literally coming to my house as they're invading there. But what you find here in Nehemiah chapter 3 is each person, but specifically each family, okay? Each individual family was committed to their portion of the wall. Now, I want to remind you of really just how, <clears throat> how big the magnitude of this work that they were undertaking was. The Holy Spirit had burdened Nehemiah to pray for four months and when he was still the cupbearer for the Persian king and the Lord in his providence opened and tendered the heart of Artaxerxes to not only allow him to return back to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the wall, but he gave him letters of safe passage through all the provinces between Shushan and, and Jerusalem. And then he funded the timber and the materials for the rebuilding of this wall. So now Nehemiah's been back and he's, he's surveyed the damage. He's had, as we considered last week, an honest evaluation of the broken areas and the breaches and the areas that need to be repaired. So he has an accurate assessment of the need, but don't miss <clears throat> how, how big just the logistical work of rebuilding this wall was. Uh, most likely this, this wall around Jerusalem was at least a mile and a half long, okay, mile and a half long, and minimum of 25 feet tall and eight feet wide, okay? Now, best case scenario, outside of the powerful movement of the Holy Spirit that we see here in the book of Nehemiah, uh, even if you undertook this project, this construction project, you probably would have hoped maybe we can get this done in a year, maybe two. But they got it done in 52 days, okay? 52 days by the movement and the providential blessing of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, how did that, how did that happen? How did, how did this huge project, again, mile and a half long, 25 feet tall, eight feet wide, how did this wall get constructed in only 52 days? Well, logistically, that's what we find in Nehemiah chapter 3, is that, we'll just start here in verse 1, for example. <clears throat> Eliashib, the high priest, you also find people that are described, I noted there are at least eight people that are described as being a ruler of the people. Uh, Nehemiah had buy-in from the leaders in the community. And notice the high priest is invested in the work. Uh, the Levites 
are uh, described as being laboring in the work. So everyone, even the Levites that had a specific role and they had many obligations on a daily basis and taking care of the temple and making many different sacrifices, even though they had those daily commitments, they were invested in the work that was over against their house, okay? So Elijah the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate and they sanctified it and set up the doors of it, <clears throat> even unto the tower of Mieh. They sanctified it unto the tower of Han Anil. That's why we're not going to read the whole chapter, by the way. I'm not very skillful at, at pronouncing Hebrew names and locations. But notice, and next unto him builded the men of Jericho, right? So this was his section, and then right next to him was the men of Jericho. And next to them builded Zakur, the son of Emery. And he went to the fish gate, and notice uh, verse 3, did the sons of Hanashiah build who also laid the beams thereof and set up the, the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. And then verse 4, and next unto them repaired. And, the, and that's how the whole chapter goes, right? They had their section, <clears throat> and right next to them, somebody else had their section. And they were diligent in their section of the wall. And I want to highlight specifically, you notice the sons mentioned there in verse 3, in verse 12. And next unto him repaired Shalom, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. Okay? So what you will find is that it's not just the men that are working on this wall. This is a family commitment. A family commitment. Verse 10, back up to verse 10. And next unto them repaired Jedediah. Notice this language. This is the language consistent throughout the, uh, the chapter. Even over against his house. Okay? So, what we find here is that each section was built and focused on by families working on the wall together. Okay? And it wasn't just the fathers. It was the... Uh, it was the fathers, it was the sons, it was the daughters, it was the wives. Now, later, later on in Nehemiah chapter 5, those wives got a little concerned about some things. Valid points, really. You know, we got bills to pay, we got taxes to pay, and, and you're spending harvest time building a wall. But no doubt, the uh, despite some of those natural concerns that cropped up a little bit later on, the the mothers and the wives were fully invested in this work too. So how did this great work occur? <clears throat> it happened by the unity of focus of each person taking care of their portion of the wall to the best of their ability and that, those walls were maintained by the individual families. Okay, Now, <clears throat> This is a great historical account, but obviously <clears throat> we're doing our best to, to understand spiritual lessons that come from the book of Nehemiah. And really a church, a church is a collection of families. 
And a strong church is made up of what? Strong, unified families. A weak church is made up of what? Fractured families. Families that don't spend time together, that don't read the Word of God together, that don't study the Word of God together. But when you have strong families, you will have a strong church. And you want to know who knows that better than anybody? You want to know who knows the centrality and the necessity of strong families being the foundation of the kingdom of God and the foundation of churches? You want to know who knows that better than anybody? Satan does. Satan knows that better than anybody. So, so what's been his, his focus, especially if you look at the case study of America, what's been his focus to try to undermine and destroy the last 50 years? And boy, he's been successful in that, hasn't he? What's been his focus? The family. Because, you know, the, the church is going to be weak if families are weak. Right? What do you do? Let, let's, let's try to destroy the foundation first. You know, I, I don't want to just break windows out. I want to destroy the foundation. And Satan knows that. And um, we were discussing after, after services on Wednesday um, with uh, one of the young ladies who, who read C.S. Lewis and the Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've ever read the Screwtape Letters, but that is a, a senior devil, a senior demon uh, that is instructing a young up-and-coming demon about how he needs to tempt uh, various people. And right there at the, at the end of it, uh, it's been quite a few years since I've read the Screwtape Letters, but she was saying that essentially um, what C.S. Lewis portrayed as being the focus of uh, these evil spirits that are, that are called to attempt God's people, their focus started out with the destruction of the family. And one of the main ways that they want to infiltrate the destruction of the family is through the school system. And boy, hasn't Satan been uh, winning that battle in the public school system of corrupting these kids and turning the kids against the parents and he's got eight hours a day to do it, and the kid and the parents only have three hours in the evenings to try to make up all of the, all of the bad ideology that's been pumped in their heads for, for eight hours a day. Satan knows if he, if he tries to put a fracture in the foundation, then the house is unstable, right? But what happens when you have unified families that are all focused, that are all... Uh, have the same vision of this work that Nehemiah had called them to do that we are going to rebuild this wall for our own protection but ultimately for the honor and the glory of God and they're fully invested in that and they're fully committed in that. What happens when you have unified families that focus on their business? Focus focus on uh, their portion of the wall to the best of their ability. Look what happens. (laughs) Look what happens when the individual family just focuses on serving the Lord together. Look at this amazing work that is accomplished in only 52 days by the individual families and their devotion with everyone, the sons, the daughters, and the parents all working together for a common 
purpose. You see? Now, Satan wants to create division. And if division, if internal division doesn't work, he, as we see here exhibited in the book of Nehemiah, he channels external persecution and ridicule and mocking and then even threat of physical violence. But they were so focused on the work, they were not detracted by all of the threats and the distractions and the ridicule of the agents of Satan, particularly Sambalat and Tobiah here in this account. <clears throat> so it is vitally important that first of all, the way that our families are strong is that if I'm strong, right? It all starts with me, right? It all starts with me looking in the mirror. That's what we talked about last week. Nehemiah went and before he talk, told anybody what the burden of his heart was, he evaluated the honest, true condition of those broken walls. And it'd be very foolish of him to look at a broken wall and to just reason in his mind that it's really okay. No, he needs to have an honest evaluation that this is broken and it's very difficult for us to look ourselves in the spiritual mirror and really accept how broken and how far short we fall, right? But I do not want my portion of the wall to be the weak link that gives Satan an, an avenue to infiltrate the church and the kingdom of God. Because he he's testing the walls on a 24-7 basis. All the time. I'll tell you, one thing you can say about Satan, he sure isn't lazy. And his, the kingdom of darkness, is not lazy. He's always testing everything that even looks like it could be a breach. If it looks like it could be a fracture, he's always trying to put pressure on that in hopes that that fracture becomes even greater and wider and there's a greater avenue for him to infiltrate the unity of the church. <clears throat> so it all starts with me it all starts with my personal discipleship the apostle Paul when he was preaching to the uh, Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 now as a pastor those pastors there uh, in the Ephesian church we have a great responsibility to set an example for other people to follow and a great responsibility to shepherd the sheep but he said first thing you do is you take heed to yourself and then to the flock. Because you can't take care of the flock if, if um, which by the way, as just a little side note, the qualifications for the ministry, I would say if you look at what Scripture describes as the qualifications of the ministry, 90% of them have to do with character and 10% has to do with his ability to teach. So it doesn't matter what powerful gift you have in the pulpit. It doesn't matter. It is nullified if you do not live a godly manner of life in the rest, in the rest of your daily activity. It doesn't matter how powerful your speaking gift is. The qualifications of the ministry primarily do have to do with moral integrity, not with him being a skilled orator and even having a powerful gift to preach. Now he needs to be apt to teach. The people need to be the sheep need to be <clears throat> fed and the people need to be edified, but that is not the primary qualifications for a man to be ordained as a pastor 
uh, ordained as an elder and then later possibly by the direction of the Spirit to serve as a pastor. It has to do with his moral godliness. Okay? So it doesn't matter how good your gift is. It doesn't matter how powerful you preach in uh, Sunday. You, you can have yourself totally disqualified by the rest of your life. Okay? So he tells those Ephesian elders, you take heed to yourself first. And then, after you have set the appropriate example by your manner of life, you take, take heed to yourself, then you have the ability to take care of the flock. And that's true of, of all of us as well. Um, I have, have enjoyed the uh, teachings in times past, especially the article by Brother Michael Goins that... Uh, Ministry is just a microcosm of the Christian life. I mean, people put ministers up on a, on a pedestal, but we're not on a pedestal. We simply have been given a spiritual gift that is exercised in a more public way. But all that we're doing is exercising the spiritual gift that I've been given to the best of my ability to edify the body as a whole, and that's no different from your responsibility, okay? That's no different from your responsibility to, to discern and to find your spiritual gift and then to use that gift that you've been given by the Lord to the best of your ability to edify the body as a whole. So the, the, the ministry is not elevated in that sense. It just so happens that our, our gift is displayed in a little bit more of a, of a public way. And that's why he says you need to look at the way in which the ministry exhibits and and carries out their spiritual gift and follow his example. He's supposed to be an example in word and charity and godliness and purity. You look at his example and then you follow his example. Well, guess what? You have the exact same obligation for you to use your spiritual gift to the best of your ability and you know it says for a man to be uh, for a man to be considered for the office of an elder, uh, he doesn't need to be given too much wine. He doesn't need to be all these moral things. Well, guess what? You don't have the right to get drunk just because you're not an elder, right? No, you're, you're called to the same standard. <laughs> so you follow the pattern. You follow the example of men that have been put in that, in that role. But you have the same responsibility. Do you understand that? You have the same moral responsibility of godly life that any minister has. And we just hopefully, by the grace of God and his grace overcoming all of our shortcomings, try to set an example for you to be able to follow. And guess what? You should be setting that example for other people to follow, right? So we're not ex you're not excluded from that. The minister is simply exhibiting his gift in the same way that you are called to exhibit your gifts. So, I, I would say in that sense, the admonition is exactly the same to the individual member of the church. Take heed to yourself, and if you take heed to yourself and you use your spiritual gifts properly, then you will be a benefit to the rest of the flock, right? Just as a minister. If he uses what he has, what he's been given by the Lord and his moral godliness backs that up instead of undermining his gift, if you take heed to yourself, then you can use the spiritual gifts that you've been given to edify the body as a whole, okay? So, <clears throat> what we find here 
in Nehemiah chapter 3 is that every single member of the body, every single section of the wall is vitally important, right? Because, again, what would happen, the Lord gives us these, this is, these, are, these are historical accounts, right, of what happened in the life of Nehemiah, but the Lord taught many times in parables. And what he's giving you here is all of us can understand that there is a wall that protects the city. And that wall, or that city, is not very safe and protected if that wall is broken down. But any enemy is going to send spies to evaluate what the weak parts of the wall is, right? And boy, Satan has people evaluating the wall all the time. So it is vitally important for our churches to be strong, for the kingdom of God to be strong as a whole. It's vitally important that I am diligent in the construction and possibly, depending on my situation, the repair of my portion of the wall. And I want to make sure that my portion of the wall is as strong as possible. Now, that starts with me. That starts with my individual devotion. But then that devotion needs to expand beyond. I set the example for not just people in a church setting. The first person you set the example for are other members of your family. Okay? Now, each family unit is an autonomous family unit. Okay? See, that's what happens when a husband and a wife marry. They leave and cleave. There, there is a separation, not in the sense of you don't talk to them anymore or not that you don't respect your parents anymore, but there is a, a separation and a creation of a new autonomous family unit. And I know I've kind of fallen into this trap of just using the same kind of language that other people use uh, that we're thinking about having, having children and we wanna, we're going to wait or we're going to try to start our family. When you have kids, you're going to start our family. Well, your family starts at the point of marriage. Now, you grow your family when you're blessed, if that's the Lord's will, to be fruitful and multiply. But as soon as you're married, you are an autonomous family unit. And some people have not been blessed by the Lord to have children. And that appears to be the, the Lord's will for them. Well, does that mean that that husband and wife that never had children, that uh, were married for 50 years, or maybe even are still married for 50 years, have they not been a family for 50 years? No, they've been a family, right? So we need to make sure that we use the, the right biblical language. Our family starts, that autonomous family unit starts at marriage when we leave our former family parental relationships and we, and we form a new autonomous family unit. And then, if the Lord sees fit to uh, bless us with children, our family grows. But that's not when our family starts. When you have a child, that's not when your family starts. Okay? And then if you're not blessed to be married, you still have other relationships. If you uh, haven't reached the point of leaving and cleaving, then that means you're still really attached to your old family, right? 
So you still have close relationships with your parents, uh, with your siblings, maybe even nieces and nephews that you can instruct in a, in a similar way. But there is a, there is a special um, severing, a leaving and cleaving, and then a setting up of the new autonomous family unit at marriage. And now you are called to serve God together in that family. Okay? And what happens when we have strong families? If we have strong families, we will have strong churches. We won't be losing a whole generation. That's what happened. I, don't, I mean, I'm not, you can't, can't throw stones in a glass house, but, but I mean, just based on numbers in the church, it appears that the previous two generations missed the ball in raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, at least in the sense of retention. I mean, if we do things the Lord's way, yes, you know, yes, they may make poor decisions in their younger years. Train up a child in the way that he will go, and he will, the, the scripture doesn't, doesn't put this word in there, but you'll let me add this in. He will eventually, <laughs> most likely, return to the manner of teaching that he's been raised up. But if they're not trained properly, then we're in the state we're in now in the church where a whole generation is missing. And, I mean, there's, there's nothing else to say other than something went wrong in the families. Something went wrong in the training up of children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And when you're serving the Lord together, those children get investments in the the simple things the simple things of, of letting letting kids help out at the preparation of lunch or letting them uh, even if they they don't know how to beat time perfectly and they don't know how to set a pitch and change pitch but you know just getting them involved to even stand up and they feel like they're leading the song even if if they're they're not really getting them invested, getting them to take out the trash, getting them to pick up sticks in the yard. They're invested in that. But we have to understand, <laughs> kids are not going to be invested in the kingdom by osmosis. They're not. If you think they're just going to sit on the pew and they're going to get it, you're wrong. They're not. And I'm thankful for my parents, but we were not as focused in family devotions and discussions of, I guess dad thought, I mean, I love my dad, but I guess dad just thought me just as a um, typical kid that is not really paying attention in church and playing and my, my mind is focused on other things, I guess he just thought that me just sitting on the pew and playing with toys taught me everything I needed to know by osmosis. That's not how kids learn, right? <laughs> You have to be purposeful. You have to be, um, you have to have a plan to teach them and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And when you do that and you set that strong foundation, that is a house that will be stable and secure and strong. When you, when you set your portion of the wall, and again, if you do that well, okay, if you do that well, if you take heed to yourself and you take heed to your family and you handle your portion of the wall in the manner you ought to, you are setting a fantastic example for other people to follow, okay? If you do that to the best of your ability, now, we all make mistakes, right? Praise the Lord 
for mercy and grace. Mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. <laughs> we, all, we know we all messed up, and we mess up every day, and we sure are thankful the Lord doesn't give us our just desserts all the time. And then we sure are thankful for unmerited favor. Grace and mercy every day. Grace and mercy. Lord, please give me grace and mercy. But understand, our families and the focus of the strength of the kingdom is based on the strength of our families serving God together. And look what happens, again, when the family is unified in focusing on a common vision, a common goal together. Look what happens. Look what happens, right? Um, <laughs> what, what would happen what would happen if in their portion of the wall the whole family was not invested in the work? Well, if it was all based on the man, the, the father, doing all of the work when all he had was negative feedback from every other member, how devoted do you think he would have been to the work? It would have sapped all any energy he had, especially in light of them already dealing with external persecution, right? The, the reason why they were able to have such focused, concentrated, successful rebuilding was because of the whole family being invested together, okay? There was no fracture or division or disunity in the families, and therefore there was no division in the, uh, the work as a whole and the people as a whole, the Lord can do some powerful things when families and churches are in unity, right? Okay, <clears throat> now, another, another lesson that's taught here in Nehemiah chapter 3 is clearly that every portion of the wall is important, which that, that implies, that, that teaches, that every person and every single family is vitally important in the church, Right? This is not a one-man show. This was not done by, by Nehemiah, okay? We understand that, right? Nehemiah, in the sense of, now he, now he was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to put his shoulder to the plow and work too. He set a good example. But this work was not done by Nehemiah, right? It was done by the people had a mind to work. And every single person had a invested interest in the construction and the rebuilding of this wall, and that's why it was successful. Every single person in the church and in the kingdom of God is vitally important, okay? And we know that, but we need to be reminded of that, okay? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2. Now here, the Holy Spirit is using some more construction language, okay? Kind of similar to the picture that we're receiving from the book of Nehemiah. Some construction language, 1 Peter chapter 2, <coughs> verse 4. To whom coming as unto a living stone, now Jesus Christ is the living stone, 
then we're going to be called living stones here in just a moment. But he's a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. He's described here as being the chief cornerstone, right? He's the foundation. And we know we can rely on that chief cornerstone, and we want to lay a good foundation in connection to that chief cornerstone. And if you lay a good foundation, typically the house will be stable and secure and strong, right? But notice he says here, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Lively stones. That literally means living stones. And the Lord is taking living stones and he's building us up into a spiritual house. Okay? Now, Jesus Christ is the foundation. Think about the construction of a house, right? The foundation. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We have the foundation of the uh, apostles and the prophets, which is simply describing the word of God. So we have Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, as the living word. We have the rest of the foundation as the written word, right? Everything we do in the church is based on the foundation of the scriptures. But now the Lord is taking that foundation, and now he's building up his house. He's building up his kingdom. Now here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Is that the people he's using to build up the spiritual house are living stones. Okay? Now if you think about Legos, Legos are pretty easy to build up. Why? Because the shape of that Lego is static. Right? I know that uh, Brother Joe Nettles says all the time, we're, we're living stones, we're not bricks. We don't look the same. We're not replicas of one another. Right? Praise God we're not replicas of one another. There's a reason why the Lord gave diversity in the church, but the real challenge, <laughs> it's easy to stack things up that are inanimate, that don't move, but can you imagine trying to build a house with stones that are moving around all the time, right? You ever played Jenga? That's hard enough with, with things that are static and stable, right? But how hard is it to build a strong wall with living stones that are moving around all the time? I want you to understand how fragile, how fragile unity in the church is, okay? Why? Because we're all sinners. We're all living stones. And what happens if one person, let's just let's say you're constructing one wall, one wall. You can have 20 or 30 really reliable stones right there. But what happens if one, one concentrated um, stone that's in a very important position, what if that one, and again, these stones are living stones and they're moving around all the time. And you know what? We all have struggles. We all have times that we're not as strong and stable as we should be in the portion of that wall. What happens if that one portion of that wall just falls out? What happens to the strength of the whole wall? It's compromised, but that whole wall could easily fall, right? That whole wall could easily fall because of one portion of that wall falling out, okay? And what happens when that one falls? It affects the whole wall, doesn't it? And the other analogy he gives us is a body, 
Well, we certainly know that, doesn't it? Every single portion of the body, every body part is important. And just in case you don't think your uh, appendix is important, wait till you get appendicitis, right? Every single portion of the body is important. And what happens if one portion of the body starts getting cancer, gangrene? What happens? What happens? The nature of it is to spread and to damage the whole body, okay? So the Lord is choosing to build up his spiritual house with living stones that are always going through peaks and valleys of discipleship. We all do. Highs and lows, struggles, and a few successes here and there. But we're constantly shifting. We're constantly moving. And you don't know the, the thing that holds that wall all together? <laughs> It's the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Lord. That's the only reason the wall is holding together. Now, I was trying to think of a good analogy. This, this is not good, but it's the best I can come up with, so y'all just bear with me. What if you happen, what, how, how successful do you think you would be if you tried to just stack up a bunch of fishes? Like, you, you catch fish, right? And I'm going to try to build a wall of fish. Are those fish, unless they're dead, but they're not dead, they're living, right? So how successful do you think you're going to be in, in stacking up a bunch of fish to build a really smooth, stable wall when those fishes, what, what do you do when they get out of water? All they do is flip and flop around, right? Are you going to be able to build a, a, a reliable wall with those fishes that are living fishes flopping around all the time? No, you can't, right? Now, obviously... The Lord's the Lord, and uh, the Holy Spirit is in control of fishes too, right? Uh, many times it sent fishes to various nets. and uh, But I think you can understand that things that are living would be very, very difficult to construct a reliable wall that doesn't have, um, that doesn't have fractures in it. Why? Because those pieces are constantly moving around. I think the, the main point that I really want you to take away from today is that the most important person in the church and in the kingdom of God is you, individually. Your family. You are the most important person in the kingdom of God. Your family is the most important family in the kingdom of God. Because you know what? I cannot control... I can set an example. I can lovingly speak the truth in love and encourage you from time to time. But I cannot control. It would be it would be me breaching God's ordained structure for me to impose myself on another autonomous family unit. Right? God ordained the family before government, um, before the church. The first unit that God ordained was the family. And it is not my place to go and tell other families how to operate in the midst of their family. Now, I can encourage you from time to time, and if I see something that's very egregious, I hope I can speak the truth in love and, and exhort you and encourage you. But the only thing that I can handle is my family. The only thing that I can handle is my discipleship. And if I do that well, hopefully I can set an example for you to follow. 
but if unless we take that kind of responsibility to understand the church and the kingdom will only be as strong as me. Because what happens when that little bitty brick, that living stone down at the bottom, what happens when that brick falls away? The whole wall, the integrity of the whole wall is compromised. And guess what? That whole wall may fall. Okay? You are the most important person in the church. You are the most important person in the kingdom of God. And the Lord expects you to take that seriously. Because I do not want my laziness to not be diligent to fix the brokenness in my portion of the wall to be the reason why Satan infiltrates the kingdom of God in the church. Okay? Living stones built up unto a spiritual house. Very briefly, <clears throat> I want to go to uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to talk about spiritual gifts. And again, the importance and the necessity of every single person in the church and in the body of Christ being vitally important. And just in case you can't see that in a construction sense, I believe we can all understand that in a body medical sense, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, <coughs> verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. See, this is the living stone aspect of it, right? <laughs> and, and I know we've talked about this before, but it's so important that we understand that God has ordained diversity, but yet we are supposed to operate in unity in the body. Not everyone is going to think the same as you. They're not going to reach the same conclusions as you. They are not going to, um, if you give them, I was in training this week, uh, and we're, we're all experienced accountants in that, in that room. And what he did was he gave us a, um, various things that we drew a various diagrams for various, various different things. And then we put them on the wall around the room and people that all generally do the same general structure. Now, auditing has a good degree of professional skepticism, but, but if you walked around the, the, the walls of that room and you looked at all of the diversity in all those diagrams, you probably wouldn't even think that we work for the same company and we have standardized procedures, right? Why? Because we look at things differently. We process even people that are very, very similar, right? People that are in the same profession, people that are very, very similar, they still evaluate and process things entirely different. But just because somebody has a different perspective and just because somebody has a different opinion, that should never be a reason to cause division in the body. Never. Not if we're submitting to the Holy Spirit. We should celebrate that and say, you know what, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about it. I, and, and then their perspective can hopefully refine your perspective to where you're all meeting together. It's not I'm, I'm putting my stake in the sand over here and you're putting your stake in the sand over here and I'm unwilling to compromise. No, I learn from you and you learn from me. And if the Holy Spirit's working in the middle of all that, we, we arrive in the exact wrong conclu uh, right conclusion. Now, sometimes I'm just dead wrong. 
You have to be willing to accept that too, right? Sometimes I'm just plumb dead wrong. And sometimes I need somebody to tell me that. It's not a, ma it's not a matter of personality. It's not a matter of opinion. Sometimes I'm just plumb wrong. And if the entire church in prayer and in unity is unified in a decision, and I believe the exact opposite, that's a good chance that I'm not in tune with the Holy Spirit. And I just have to be willing to accept that and say, you know what, I was wrong. I'm going to submit to the leadership of the Spirit in the church. But sometimes I think we view a difference in spiritual gifts and differences of opinions and differences of approaches and perspectives. We view that as a reason to cause division in the church. But actually, this should be the exact opposite of that. We should be thankful that other people have different perspectives. Because the Lord has allocated spiritual gifts in the body in such a way to where there is no part that is neglected, right? Because the reality is, if you have the spiritual gift, there are areas that you're weak in and that you're naturally going to have a blind spot to. Well, what does the Lord do in his providence in the, in the kingdom of God? He puts other people with other spiritual gifts that where your weaknesses and your blind spots are, that's their strength, right? That's how he's ordained it. So just because we are different does not mean that we can't be in perfect unity. The only challenge is us having the humility to submit to the Holy Spirit. That's the challenge, okay? So there are diversities of gifts for the same spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. <laughs> so don't be surprised if somebody, you know, if we, if we perform that exact same exercise of drawing different things, of even things we agree on, but you would draw it in a different way, you would format it a different way, and you would, you would realize the same way that that was true in, in my training, that if you walked around the room, you would see a tremendous amount of diversity in the way that we would explain or the, our perspective on truths that we believe, right? And that's not a bad thing. We have to understand that, okay? There are diversities of operations, but understand, it's the same God. It all comes from the Lord, okay? It all comes from the spiritual gifts that he has given us. <clears throat> And it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Okay? You're not given your spiritual gifts to exalt yourself. You're given your spiritual gifts to edify the body as a whole. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same healing, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. This was during the miraculous outpouring of the spiritual gifts during the early New Testament church and uh, those are not applicable today but they are applied in uh, a more spiritual sense um, not the miraculous manifestation that we see there but let's just say if you were in the church at Corinth boy, <laughs> maybe this is being too hard on them but, but the people that spoke in tongues at the church at Corinth boy it just seems like they were very prideful about speaking in tongues, right? And they made everyone that did it. If you don't speak in tongues, oh, you're not a real Christian. And by the way, some people in Christianity say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not even a child of God. 
you're not even really saved, which is just so sad and certainly contrary to the Word of God. But you, you have these, these uh, um, people in the church at Corinth that clearly they looked at other people and said, my spiritual gift. Now, they would never verbalize this, right? Because we would never, and you wouldn't either. If you got prideful and haughty and thought that you were the most important person in the kingdom, you'd never tell anybody. But in your heart, you would say, my spiritual gift's more important than theirs. And guess what? Over time, you would make other people feel like theirs was less important. And clearly that was happening here. But all these things, verse 11, that one and the self-same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. Every single body part, every single spiritual gift is vitally and just as important as every other one, right? I mean, ask people that have had things amputated if one hand is as good as the other one. I mean, people that have had medical problems. I mean, this is a very simple example, isn't it? We can all understand this. Every single part of the body is vitally, vitally important. <clears throat> Verse 12, as the body is one and hath many members and all members of that one body, so being many, they're one body. So, you know, th there's not any disunity between your internal organs. One's the, I mean, you'd be in a bad spot if one of your organs internally was fighting against your other organ. Like that, that would mess up your whole body, wouldn't it? Right? But we're one body. And by the way, how does your body operate? It all receives directions from one centralized location, which is your head. And Jesus Christ is the head. So if everyone is receiving the impulses of the Holy Spirit from our head, the church will operate. The body will operate in unity. <coughs> Verse 14, the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, <coughs> because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, it is, uh, is it not therefore of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. As it hath pleased him. You know, the book of Esther, Mordecai tells Esther, maybe you're coming to the kingdom for such a time as this. Well, you know what? The Lord has put you in your portion of the wall for a reason. He's put you in your portion of the wall with your spiritual gifts, with your abilities, with your knowledge, with your experiences. He's put you in your portion of the wall according to his will and according to his providence for a reason. And we want to honor the one who is, by his providence, put us in that position. So you just need to do your best to the best of your ability by his grace and mercy for us to be as diligent as we can in our portion of the wall, right? And that's how great tasks are accomplished in the kingdom. That's how great tasks are accomplished in the church. Focusing on myself first, but then especially focusing on my family. My family being strong and stable and raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
and seeking first the kingdom of God as a family. I need to do that individually, but I'm doing, I need to do that as a family. And our churches and our kingdom will be rebuilt. It will be strong when we follow this pattern. And I want to leave you with thought. You are the most important person. You are the most important stone in the kingdom of God and in the church. We all have to understand that. You're not less important than the pastor. You are just as, maybe even more important. Is Nehemiah really the focus of this story? No, he's not, right? He's the person who the Lord led to galvanize the people, but this story is not about Nehemiah, right? It's about all these people that are listed in Nehemiah 3. It's about all the people that are listed in the census in Nehemiah 7. It's about all these rank-and-file people that the Holy Spirit, and just in case you didn't think the Lord doesn't take notice, the Holy Spirit went out of his way. It could have just said, and they rebuilt the wall. But you know what the Holy Spirit did? It named the individual people that were devoted to the work. The Holy Spirit put their names in the inspired and preserved word of God for all children of God in, in future times to examine. The Holy Spirit commended them and called them out by name for their individual diligence. And the Lord takes note of that. And he went out of his way to specifically denote their individual commitment in their portion of the wall. And we need to do our best to execute that and uh, rebuild, strengthen whatever is necessary in our portion of the wall to the best of our ability by the grace and the mercy of God. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.